Welcome to the In the Light Ministries of Philadelphia Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast, resources, and other ways to get connected, please visit inthelight.church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this divine moment. Thank you for some of us. It was a struggle to get here. Thank you for getting us here in these seats and into your presence. I thank you. And God, I pray this morning, if there's anything, anything that people remember, take away. It's not me or my words. I want them to encounter in a tangible, palpable, powerful, supernatural way the extravagant, unconditional love of our Father. Do not let them walk back out those doors without having encountered it. Because I'm asking you, Daddy, you're going to do it. You're going to meet each of them and let them tangibly experience your love this morning. I feel like we've already, for some of us, God already got us this morning during worship. But I'm praying for more. There's more, God. There's so much more. There's so much more yet for us to experience. And so I just thank you that we get to experience it together this morning as a family here at In the Light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So if you can turn with me to Luke 15. You guys have your phone apps, your Bibles. Turn to Luke 15 for me. I want you to find verse 11, where I'm going to start reading. If we can get the, um, yeah, there we go. I'm going to read it from my phone. We there? Wave at me if you're there. Yes, okay, most of us are there. This should be a very familiar scripture passage. How many are familiar with the parable of the prodigal son? Wave at me. Okay, good. Yes, you at least, you're you're familiar. Let's read it together. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, um, in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with just the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, say that with me, when he came to his senses, yeah, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Say, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and you. 
and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Yes, right? We're like, woo, yes, it's such a great story. And most of us maybe just kind of like, are like, yes, we stay there. But let's keep reading on this part. It's a little less, well, you know, played out. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what is going on? What's all the commotion? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed. Did you hear that? Never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitute comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Whew, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? Listen to the father's response. My son. Say that. My son, the father said. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and has found. I love, we all love the prodigal son story, right? It's a story about redemption, forgiveness, you know, and, and, and I love the songs that go with the prodigal son story, right? Like, he put your, the ring upon my finger, right? It's not Beyonce who said it. Come on. God, it's about God. Right? He threw the robes on my back. And, you know, we, we sing it and we love it. And we're like, yes, the prodigals come home. And we see ourselves coming back to God. And we, and we celebrate and we love that. Um, and I always thought that the story was about the prodigal because it's called the parable of the prodigal son. But, you know, I want to submit something to you. I want to tell you that the story is more about the, the father than the son, right? Amen? Why do I say that? If you have your Bibles, scroll up to the very top of this chapter. Go to Luke 15, verse 1. And somebody tell me, what story do you see there in Luke 15, verse 1? It's the parable of the lost sheep. He leaves the 99, we sang about it this morning, and he goes after the one. And then scroll it down a little bit more, and there's another story in there in verse 7. What, what story is that? What does it say? It's the parable of the lost coin. So really, some of the translations say this is a succession of stories. It's a, paral a parable of the lost sheep. It's the lost coin. And it's the parable of the lost son. And really, this, this I, I thought that prodigal meant lost. 
I always, you know, I, I like since Sunday school, I listened to this story and I love it. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, the prodigal son, it's about the lost son. And I always thought prodigal meant what? Like repentant, you know, or like the repentant son, the lost son, the rebellious son that found his way back. You know, and I always thought that that was the meaning of the word prodigal. Who, who else thought that? You guys like, you guys agree? You guys thought that? Until I read this book when I was in medical school. Um, it was a book called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. You guys know that book? Anyone heard about it? Not many. Okay, good, because I'm going to tell you about it. What he says in this book, it blew my mind when he, he defined and gave the real definition for what the word prodigal means. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what the Merriam-Webster um, Dictionary says. Prodigal, believe it or not, is defined, characterized by profuse or wasteful expenditure. So prodigal doesn't mean lost, it doesn't mean rebellious, it means profuse or almost wasteful expenditure. In fact, prodigal comes from the Latin root, prodigus or prodigus, it means lavish. Get that, prodigal means lavish. Yeah, and if, if the Latin's not enough for you, I'll give you the Greek, I hope I say it right. A-S-O-T-O-S, -S -O -O the, the Greek root is osotos, and it means wasteful. So let me tell you who got it even better. The Oxford Dictionary, the English Dictionary, defines prodigal as combining those two root words, wastefully extravagant. And that's how we get that root lavish. You get that? It's somebody, the, the reason why it's applied to the, the younger son is because he was so like wasteful and almost reckless and lavish in the way he like used up all his money and resources. That's why they call him the prodigal son. But I'm submitting more to you that this story is about a prodigal father. He's a prodigal father because this father in the story almost wastefully lavishes his love on his, not one lost son in the story, but there's two lost sons in this story. Amen? It says in 1 John 3, 1, see what love the father has lavished, has prodigaled upon us that we should be called children of God. Amen. So in this story, everybody knows about the prodigal son, but I want to talk to you a little bit about the older brother. And that's because um, you, a lot of you may not know a lot about my past even before I came into, into In the Light, but I grew up um, in, a, in a godly home, in a Presbyterian church. I've gone to church my whole life. I've served God my whole life. I love God my whole life. And, you know, I think I st if, if I really trace it back, I think I entered, did ministry starting elementary school because I served as a Sunday school teacher and a Sunday school volunteer. Then in middle school, I started on the worship team and all through college. And I've served at church pretty much my whole life. But... You know, when I was a third-year student in medical school, I kind of had like, a, like an Acts 9 encounter with God. 
It, if, if you don't know what's in Acts chapter 9, it's Saul on the road to Damascus. It's the story of his, his Damascus experience. And who remembers that story, right? It's like he's going on his way to persecute more Christians. And then this blinding light and a voice says, you know, why are you persecuting me? And Saul gives this response that I always found intriguing. He said, who are you, Lord? Like, I, I don't know if I'm putting the emphasis on the right way he asked it, but the question is like, who are you, comma, Lord? And with a question mark. And it's like, it's so weird and intriguing because he knows it's the voice of the Lord because he says, Lord. But then he says, who are you? Like he doesn't know him, right? Did it, isn't that an interesting response? He, he, he knew his name but he didn't know the person. And that's why I say this experience in, 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 in medical school was like my Damascus Road experience because just to, I, I don't want to take a long time getting into it, but basically as a third year medical student, some of you may have heard this story, um, I was in the first day of my pediatric rotation. Ironic because I'm a pediat pediatrician it was the very first day I tried, I went to a pediatrics rotation and I had the worst stomach pain. I ended up going to the ER, trying to drive myself there. I was in so much pain and long story short, it turned out that I had a burst appendix and I needed um, like immediate like surgery. Um, I think when I went into the OR, I can't even remember if my parents were there because they, they worked in New Jersey and I was in school in New York. So I remember going into this um, this uh, surgery and when I came out after like three two days whatever they want you to eat a little something make sure you're okay they're trying to send you home and um, on my way out the door I said oh I have some more pain and I have to use the restroom and basically what came out was just blood and the doctors were like well no way you're going home so they're like come back and that started about a two-week um, hospitalization where they were trying to find out what was wrong with me and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Every single test they did. They were like, we don't, we don't know what, where the bleeding's coming from. And I, they were giving me blood transfusions and I kept bleeding. So they said, we can't do, keep doing this. She's a young girl. And then they said, okay, if she doesn't stop bleeding by tomorrow, we're gonna take out half her colon. And, and listen to how reassuring this is. They said, we're gonna take out the right side half of her colon because 60% of GI bleeds is usually on the right. And so we have a better chance of catching it if we take out the right side. Well, you know, my dad was not having that. Neither was my sister. They prayed all night. They prayed all night. They contended for me. I was like so weak. And the next morning, miraculously, my bleeding stopped, right? So I'm like, yes, Lord. And they send me home and they're like, we don't know what's wrong with you, but you're good. Go ahead. So we're like, okay. <laughs> now, th that was a hard time in my life. That was a hard ordeal. I'm not going to lie. It was, I was in pain. I was weak. I couldn't understand. And then um, not soon after that, I had another incident where I was in a, a car accident. And I totaled my car and I broke a rib, and I was back in the same hospital. They were like, oh my gosh, she's back again. Oh no, she's bleeding. They were like scared. 
And then after that incident, a couple, uh, two months later, I got the flu and it got misdiagnosed. And um, I was coughing up blood for a couple of weeks and I was, um, uh, you know, finally treated correctly and I recovered. But that was like for about a six month stretch, guys, that was like a kind of a low point in my life. At that point when you're in medical school and you're missing all this school and you're missing out and you're sick, right? And I remember, I remember asking God at that moment, like I couldn't understand. You ever happen to you when you're like just trying to do right and things happen and you're like, God, I don't understand this. I was like, God, I don't understand. I said to him, I, I'm in medical school because I want to be a doctor and I want to serve you, right? I, I'm, um, I was even in a master of public health program in international health because I want to be a, a missionary. I want to be a medical missionary for God. I was like, I'm doing this program, God. I'm here for you. I, I'm leading Wednesday night Bible studies. I'm you know, um, serving on the worship team and I'm leading um, early morning, Saturday morning and I'm, and I'm discipling these women and I'm, I'm doing all this, God, and, and I don't understand why this is happening. Are you, are you guys following? Do you understand where I'm going with this? How many eyes were there in that statement alone? I was doing, I was doing. I was doing like I didn't know even at that time but the Lord was so good to show me that where where I was at with him he wanted so much more he wanted it to be not about what I'm doing but who he is it's not about the what it's about the who he he loves me so much he loved me so much he said I want more of a relationship with Jennifer that that's not enough and, and he started to just work on my heart and start to show me that underlying it all, there was like a root of um, pride in what I was doing for God. And there was like a root of like a religious spirit. Do you remember in the story what the older brother said? He said, I have been slaving for you my whole life. He didn't say, he didn't, he didn't see that he was a son in the house all along. Because he said, he, in a way, because he didn't, he chose doing the right thing. I never disobeyed you. Over having the heart of his father and being in, his, in a relationship of being a son. It's not that far different from the younger brother. It's just two different things kept him out of having a relationship with a father. The younger son, see, he did all this bad living and these bad deeds, and it made him almost feel shameful and guilty. And that blinded him from his sonship. In fact, he took himself out of it and said, I'll just be a slave. I'll just be a servant, not a son. Because of all the bad things that he did, he, he couldn't see that he, he, his dad, still, he, he didn't lose his identity. He still had that title, but he would have settled for being a servant. And sometimes that happens to us, doesn't it? When we, when we are struggling, when we mess up and we're feeling down and we're like, oh, you know, I'll just settle for this. 
but he wants you to be a son and a daughter. Don't let the enemy blind you from seeing what your true identity is. And then the flip side of the coin, if the, if, if, if the enemy can't get you with the shame and guilt, he'll get you with the opposite. He won't get you with the bad things you did. He'll get you with the good things you did. Like the elder brother. Because of all the good things he did, he was blinded by pride and self-righteousness. And so then he couldn't see himself as a son. He saw himself, same thing, in the same place, as a servant or a slave. This, um, I won't call it like a religious mindset or like a religious spirit. It's not something easy to talk about. You know, if, if you've dealt with it in yourself, or it comes out in so many other ways. I struggled with this in the past, whether it comes out as perfectionism or performance or people-pleasing or jealousy or comparing or entitlement. It, this thing likes to hide and move around, and it's so hard to get a grasp on it. And the Lord, in his grace, for the past two months, three months, has been slowly uncovering for me some of these, the residue, the residue of what was kind of left in my, from my past. And he's showing me, and the way that he showed me was through his, the, his, this, this father's love that he set me free from it. And that's why I want to talk about it. It's not because I want to make you guys feel bad about yourselves, but this thing is, I just want to show you in my own life, what it looked like to help you get closer to receiving the Father's love. Amen? This is the way I think I've defined um, a religious uh, spirit. This is the way I'll say it, okay? I said it one, in one way, it focuses more on the what than the who. And, you know, I actually want to just make a, say a little caveat to that. Our, our good works are not a bad thing. I know my Bible. We know our Bible, right? Faith without works is, is dead. I know that. You guys know that. But it's just that sometimes when we're doing a lot of good works, ministry, living our life for the Lord, like, like it happened to me, it's, it's very easy. It, it, let me put it this way. When we're doing a lot of good works for the Lord, we know that our good works can't buy us salvation. It can't buy us a ticket to heaven. It's by grace. Our good works can't entitle us to an abundant life. Did you guys hear what I said? Our good works doesn't entitle us to have just like this great life that we envisioned. It doesn't come from that. You know why? Because Jesus already did it. It said he paid for it all. He paid for it all, so there's nothing you can do to earn having an abundant, blessed life. He is the life giver. Amen? In other words, the way I would say it is, a religious spirit is anything that will try to add or subtract from the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's just the way that I've just learned to come to, to, to put the language to it. Because if we think that if, if we do more, that somehow God would love us more and be pleased with us more, then you're trying to add 
to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And, and if, you're, if you try to subtract, what, what happens when we try to do things is that we also subtract from him. Because you know what you're saying? You're saying that essentially that Jesus is a liar when he said it's finished. Because you're saying it's not finished. I have to do something more. What he did was not enough. So anything that tries to detract or add to the finished work of Christ on the cross there's something there's something religious in there and we i just want want us to be made aware of that the older brother um chose being right over a relationship with his father and um he had he responded because i can always like i, I can hear this voice he doesn't say it but he says it's not fair it's not fair, right? And he almost starts to um, compare. You know, you didn't give me a young goat, you gave him a fattened calf, you know? Um, the, the crazy thing about it that I learned is, you know when you're the older son in the inheritance, what do you do? You get a double portion, Right? So, like, isn't it interesting how when the, when the younger son said, give me my inheritance, he divided it up. He would have to give the younger brother a third, and then the older brother got two-thirds. He actually had double of what the younger brother got. But he's still, like, in this, like, lack mentality of, like, kind of comparing. Right? He says, you did all this stuff from him. You didn't do it for me. And I want to just be really transparent. And I want to share with you, um, it's really transparent because there are people in the room that was there when this happened. <laughs> so you, you guys know. <laughs> um, I've been telling you that in the past couple months, the Lord's been kind of, kind of revealing to me some of where my religious mindset residue still lie, lies. And uh, we had an incident at the end of Ecclesia, and we had um, a big party. Like, I ordered pizza, and we were playing a game between two groups, and who was there? Who was there that night? Okay, yeah, so you know. We were, like, um, playing a game, and I said, the winner of the game, if you answer more questions right based on the book, because we wanted to make the last um, Ecclesia fun, I said, I'm going to give you a gift. And what I had was a gift for Dunkin' Donuts gift cards in my back pocket. And um, we're doing the game. We're having a good time. And towards the end, a young woman um, comes very late. And she brings this new person that I've never seen. And they've never been there before. And it was a little awkward. And, and it's, it's, they don't know the answers or whatever. And they're trying to like just be there. The, the, the game's over. And, and the team with the um with the new with the new lady they won so i'm i'm going i'm going about handing out the cards and they're like sitting in the back because they came late in the team so i'm like giving it out i'm like hey congratulations and then i get to them and i just kind of like walk away because in my heart i was thinking it won't be fair to give it to them, a brand new person who walked into my church, because I was thinking that it wasn't fair. I feel bad for the other people who were here the whole time. I'm just being really transparent. 
God reminded me of the parable in Matthew where there's the workers. And he says in the start of the day at six, he says, if you work for me for a denarius, I'll pay you. But then he went out and saw people at noon that weren't working. And he said, come work for me. Come work for me. Come work for me. And by the end of the day, at the very last hour, more people came. Do you remember this story? And at the end, he paid them all equally. He gave them the same. And the people started saying, the people who worked and, and really worked in the heat of the day all day said, that's not fair. And do you know what Jesus said in his response? I'm going to paraphrase it. Do we have the, the verse up there from Matthew? But he said, it's, it basically he said, oh, you don't have to, no, not the whole thing towards the end. Okay, anyway, um, maybe 13, 14, can you guys go there? Keep, keep going, keep going towards the end. Okay, but he answered one of them and said, I am not being unfair to you, my friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am so generous? Are we envious because I am so lavish? Are we envious because God is so prodigal? Blow our minds recklessly, wastefully, extravagant with his generosity. I'm sorry. He, he can... Uh, I know I'm having a moment here. I wasn't like that during that night. <laughs> it was just the quiet conviction of the Holy Spirit. And by the end of the night, I went up to them and I apologized. And I gave it to them and I said, I'm so sorry. Here you go. And I really want, I know the Lord really wants you to have this. And I welcome you. And just, I made it right. Thank the Lord for his convicting Holy Spirit. That I didn't let her leave like that. But that is the truth of how that sometimes our, our understanding and our values fall so short of the Father. Let's look at the Father, because he's the real focus of the story, right? When, when the younger son asked him for the inheritance, and, and, and the father didn't even, like, ask him, but why? You know? He says he did it, and he said he divided it among his sons. You know that the younger son, when the younger son asked him that, was basically saying, you mean more to me, de like, dead than alive. Right? Because the inheritance is what you have after you pass when you leave it for people. So he was saying, I'd rather have the money than a relationship with you. He's saying, I'd rather you be dead, that you mean more to me dead than alive to me. Is what, it was so dishonoring, and in that culture, so unheard of. But the father's response is not even, how can you do that to me? Or can you, like, why don't you stay? Because it says just a few days later, he already packed up and left. He was like, okay, good, see ya. And the father's response was not, okay, then, 
I disown you. It was not okay, you know, pleading with him. No, no, love me, stay with me. You know, don't reject me. It was, he, he, out of his lavish love, he let him go. But, but he didn't just let him go. I want you to see the heart of the father because it says that while he was still a long way off, he saw him. Who knows how many days transpired? Do you know that what that means? It means literally he's standing there, sitting there, looking outside his window day after day. Just he hasn't given up hope on his son to come back home. He was waiting. He was seeking. He was searching for this young man to come back home. He's not sitting there oh, offended. He's not sitting there oh hurt his lavish love that's the kind of father that he is is that when everybody else says forget it he's gone he's standing there looking and waiting for us to come back home that is the heart of of the father and in this story he didn't just run out of his home once you know that was actually like kind of like a humiliating demeaning thing for a father to do in that day he, that he would go outside and not be sitting in there and receiving them, that he would go out, that he would actually run. It was so undignified, and he runs to him. But that wasn't the only time he left the house that day. He left again. When did he leave again? When he went back outside for the older son. Because the lost one came home, but then he realized one was lost all along. And that older one, the older brother, wouldn't come in. You know, that's actually very dishonoring that your father is hosting in front of all these guests and throwing a feast, and he refused to come in. So he, he doesn't think, he thinks, I've, I've obeyed everything. He didn't realize that he was actually dishonoring his father by being outside. And then while he's standing there and the father comes out, he doesn't say, Father, like, he says, look, look, you. I mean, he, he doesn't address him as a father. It was, it was such an insult. He, he, was, um, he disowned himself. He removed himself from that relationship of a father. He went out, the father went out twice. He, he responded in the same extravagant just wasteful display of love and grace. It's like humanly impossible. You know, when my, when my kids talk back to me, I'm like, what? What did you just say? You know that thing that rises up in you? Like, how dare you? Oh, that's so ugly. I wipe it off. What? What did you say? <laughs> no, just kidding. We, we know in our, in, our, in our humanity what that does to us. When we are men, when we are disrespected, when we are dishonored, we know what that feels like. And yet the, the father just didn't say, didn't, didn't not get mad at the older brother. It says he pleaded with him. He said, look, you. But the father said, my son, my son, come inside. Your brother was lost, and now he's found. His heart is so prodigal, it blows our minds. And this, this, I think the saddest part of the story for me 
is that that's where it ends. We don't, we don't see the son's response. We don't know if the older son ever comes back in the house. We have a prodigal father. He loves us beyond what we can imagine, what we can dream. It's so lavish. It's reckless. It's, it's they almost call it wasteful. But my prayer this morning is that it's not going to be wasted on us. Amen. When I, even when I was um, preparing for the sermon, I, all these different, I'm telling you, all these different ways came up for me. I said I was going to fast, and then um, without even realizing it, I, I ate something that I wasn't supposed to eat, and I just felt like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I, I messed up. I, I said I was going to do this, and I didn't do it, and I was really hung up about that for a couple of days. Until the Lord said, like, just, I got so convicted. Here I am praying on the, the, talking about the religious spirit. And it's not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't fulfill your vows to the Lord. That is important. But I was getting so hung up that I was making it more about the food than, than his presence, than, than him, than his love, than his anointing. I was like, what is going on, you know? Um, but... Even though he's been showing me that uh, those little bits of residue are still left over in my life, and I will continue to, um, you know, he'll continue to draw me closer and draw me closer and show me. Now, unlike back then, now I know. Now I know what it is that sets me free from the religious spirit. And it's not you know, fasting more, and it's not, you know, reading more and singing, singing more and giving up more and doing more. It's not about that. He, he, he just said it's a matter of receiving. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Subscribe to our podcast and social media outlets to be kept up to date with everything going on at In the Light Ministries in Philadelphia.